Today's reading is from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking up into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken up from you in heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you very much, Doreen, for reading that for us. We're uh, starting this book of Acts, and we're going to be looking at, uh, looking at Acts over the next few weeks. So let me pray as we kick off in this, uh, in this book. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for what has been written down for us, that we can be sure of your love, sure of your truth, sure of your message. And please, uh, by the Holy Spirit, press these truths into not just our heads but our hearts so that we would love you and love each other and love others as you want us to. We pray for the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have you ever wondered, uh, what is Jesus doing right now, right this second, uh, right now, right at this point in time? Jesus has done a lot, hasn't he? He came and he did lots of teaching. And he did lots of amazing miracles. And then he died on the cross and he rose again and ascended into heaven. So he did an awful lot. That's a lot, isn't it, to do? I mean, uh, doing miracles must be quite hard. Uh, dying, I think that was quite hard for Jesus, wasn't it? Painful. Rising again, I mean, that, that's, that's a whole other level of superhuman Subhu uh, well, superhuman effort, isn't it? And ascending into heaven. But what is he doing right now? Right at this point in time. Is he doing anything at all? We might be tempted to think. Yeah, yeah, he's praying. We read that in the Bible, doesn't he? He's praying. He's there praying for us, which is great. And that's hard work, as you may well know. But what is he doing? Is he, is he having a rest? He's sitting down, having rest, putting his feet up and watching down on us. What is he actually doing? Maybe it's a bit like an actor 
I don't know if you've, uh, I know Gavin has been, and, and others will do, do a bit of amateur dramatics. They come on, they do their bit, and it's all a bit intense. They've got to remember what to do and do it right, not stumble over it and fluff their lines and move around and do all the right actions and things. And then they go off stage, and they're done, and they just go into the green room and get changed, sit down, have a cuppa, read the magazine. I don't know what they're doing. Take it easy. Now, of course, even if we recognize all that is wrong with what I've just said about what Jesus is doing right now, it is easy to feel that sense that he is spiritually distant and we're a bit spiritually adrift and cut off from Jesus. Yeah, we know that Jesus loves us, but what is he doing? Where is the tangible connection with Jesus Christ? Because Jesus isn't with us now as he was back then in Bible times. And if you've, uh, if you've worked and you've had a boss at work, often when the boss is in the office, you, you get down to it or if the boss is on site you get to it and you get hard at work but when the boss drifts away things are a bit more relaxed aren't they you, you perhaps you know that from experience and spiritually Jesus being the boss he's away and so we can just relax a little bit and those 10 commandments and we've done two so far but we look at the others and all the rest it says in the Bible we just think oh we'll just drift a little bit because Jesus is that bit far off a bit distant and we drift. Well, the book of Acts addresses that and many other issues. Sure, it's about the first Christians and what happened after Jesus, how the church got started, the issues they faced, and uh, the church continues to face issues, of course, to this day. But uh, that is why we often call the book the Acts of the... The Acts of who? The Acts of the Apostles. Is that right? But look at me... uh, Sorry, not just look at me. Look with me, is what I meant... Look with me, look at the Bible, if you've got it open, page 1092, 1093 is easy to find because it's got the uh, the number written on, 1092 hasn't got it written down, but uh, it says Acts chapter 1. Is this the Acts of the Apostles that we're reading? Because we see, if we look at verses 1 and 2, Acts is written by Luke. In my former book, Theophilus... So who is this writing in my former book? This is Luke writing. If you take some moments, uh, maybe later when you get home, look at Luke chapter 1. You'll see this is ex- very similar to what Luke writes there. In my former book, and Luke is writing, this is about my former book, which we now call Luke, Luke's Gospel. In my former book, Luke's Gospel, Theophilus, I wrote about all that G- Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions and so on and so forth. Now, do you see there, there's one word that is easy to miss in verse 1 that describes what actually Acts is all about. One very small word that is five letters, and it begins with B. It is the word began. Do you see that? That word began. Do you see what Luke is saying there? Luke is saying, in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. See what Luke is saying? He's saying in Luke's gospel, Luke volume one, you might say, that is Jesus' beginning. And the implication for Acts, which is Luke volume two, my current book I'm writing, is what Jesus continues to do and teach. That is what he began to do, but Acts is about what Jesus continues to do. So actually, you should call Acts the Acts of Jesus. Or if you like, the Acts of Jesus through the apostles. That is what we're reading here in the book of Acts. Just to kick us off in the next few weeks, we are reading the Acts of Jesus. So when you read Acts, Jesus is at work. Miracles happen. Who does the miracles? 
Jesus is at work. Or in the preaching and the teaching and the discussions that are going on, Jesus is at work. In the coming to faith of individuals, Jesus is at work. In the spread of the church, in the spread of the good news, the gospel, Jesus is at work. And yes, in the persecutions, in the imprisonments, in the beatings and the killing of Christians, Jesus is at work. And that is the truth we need to know, isn't it? Jesus has not left the scene in the same, in, in some, well, in some sense he has, but he is at work. He is not doing nothing. He's not just sitting there praying, having a cup of tea, whatever he might be doing next to the right hand of the Father. He is at work. And that is a wonderful truth for us today that we need to know. Because just as it is true for the first Christians here in the book of Acts, it is true today in heaven in the 21st century. So as we look back at the early church, and I do this, sometimes I think, wow, what an amazing time. If only we could experience what they experienced then loads of exciting things happen. And I get into thinking, if only our church, not just St. John's Church, but the church globally was like this in Acts. But Acts is saying the golden age of Christianity is not back then. It is every age right now in the church and continuing. It is all the Acts of Jesus. So as we read this book, Acts will help us see God at work. It will help us see Jesus at work, not just then, but today. And it will teach us how that takes place and what we need to be doing if we're involved in the acts of Jesus. But here's the question. Here's the question. Jesus is at work, but how? Because Jesus, as we've already said, has left the scene. Do you see it in verse 9? He goes up into heaven. He's taken away from the church. Imagine the England cricket team. Do you know who the star player is of the England cricket team? Tell me. Mr. Stokes. I know. And he's not this fella here. But it's Ben Stokes, sports personality of the year. You remember that World Cup? Even if you don't care about uh, Christmas, cricket, sorry. (laughs) If you don't care about cricket, you probably know how he dives to get an extra four runs, completely not even deliberately. That's how amazing he is. Uh, Remember the Ashes. Scoring that century at Headingley. I mean, Yorkshire is God's own county. It's where the miracles happen, as I know. Thank you, Dylan. And, uh, and look at all the amazing things. Now, imagine the England cricket team without Ben Stokes. No World Cup. No Tide Ashes series. I'm not sure they'd have got that win in South Africa. I don't know if someone put me right. Imagine if Ben Stokes says, bye, lads. I'm not coming in today. I'm going to have a rest. I've done all the bowling. I'm going to forget the batting. And you can do it yourself. Imagine that. That's all right. You just, you just rest there. Bye, lads. I'm off. Imagine the England cricket team without Ben Stokes. Well, imagine the church without Jesus going away. How's it going to happen? The answer, of course, is the Holy Spirit. Verse 2. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions. How? Through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. And again, in verse 4, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command... Don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. Do you remember David Osmond's last Sunday? Almost two years ago. That was a, it's been a quick two years for me. Maybe it's been longer for you. But do you remember when David left and we gave him and Christine a gift? Do you remember that? You give people a leaving gift, don't you? People leave work and so on. You give them a gift. 
a relieving gift, a retirement gift in, in his case. Well, a big gift. And here Jesus says, I'm going, but I'm going to give you the gift. I'm going to give you a gift. What is this, this gift? Verse 5. John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you a gift. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. Now we have to realize that the Holy Spirit is God. God is three persons. There's Father, the Son, there's Holy Spirit. All united in love, will, purpose, and action. It's like the divine family. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Just like your families. United and agreeing in purpose, in will, in love, and in action. Isn't that right? Yes. Yes. Mm. On a good day. For a few minutes. United in agreements. But that is the divine family. Our families are not like that, of course. God being far greater is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons. They don't transform one into the other. They're three different people, all united in purpose, all united in what they want to do. So the Holy Spirit is how Jesus continues his work. It's not like the Holy Spirit comes and does something different to what Jesus wants to do. He's united with God the Son, Jesus Christ. They're in it together. And the great thing about the Holy Spirit is that he is God where? He is God in us. Isn't he? Living and dwelling in each person who follows Christ as king. And if Jesus is going to work in you and me, then the Holy Spirit is going to make us change our agenda. He's going to make us change our agenda. Let's see that in verse 6. He's going to change our plans and desires. So Jesus has promised up to verse 5 the Holy Spirit. Then they, these followers of Jesus, verse 6, they gather around Jesus and ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel. In other words, are you going to fulfill our agenda? Our agenda, Jesus, is that the kingdom of Israel, the Old Testament kingdom, is restored to the way it was before. Do you remember David? That kingdom, that temple that was worship, where was worship properly done, where there was no foreign occupiers like the Romans and before them the Greeks and then before them the Persians and before them the Babylonians and then the Assyrians. When it was our land, when it was our people doing things God's way. That's our agenda, isn't it? That's what we want to happen. But it's clear as Acts works out, that is not the agenda that Jesus has. Jesus takes their agenda and puts it in the shredder. Verse 7, he says to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the agenda. You will receive the Holy Spirit, you'll receive power, and then you'll be witnesses to the ends of the earth. In fact, verse 8, you could describe verse 8 as the table of contents for Acts. You see this as the gospel goes out into Jerusalem, then, then it goes to Judea, and then Samaria, and then it goes to the ends of the earth. Well, Rome at the end is pretty much the center of the world at the time, the ends of the earth. And you will be my witnesses in all those places. You know what a witness does, don't you? You know what a witness does? I once heard a sermon, someone was preaching on this, and they said, a witness sees. Wrong answer. Sorry, wrong answer. 
What does a witness do? I was once called as a witness in a trial. I think I've mentioned this before. It's exciting to be called as a witness. You get a, a nice piece of paper, very exciting, saying you're, you're summoned. And you think, oh gosh, I'm, I'm, I've got important things that I need to talk about. This was a civil trial. So it wasn't a criminal thing, a civil trial. It was about a delivery uh, gone wrong, and uh, it was delivered to my house. And I had to testify uh, in this civil case. The, the delivery guy had taken his employer to court. And uh, I was had to say what happened. I had to go to Sunderland, but, uh, you know, you have to take the rough with the smooth. And uh, there you are. Actually, it was a quite a nice day trip out, actually. Um, it wasn't as excited as expected. You know, there was me thinking this is going to be like Law and Order and Perry Mason and, uh, and all the rest of it. And it wasn't like that at all. He was just sat in someone's office. And they were, I just sat in, a, in one chair and then moved to the other chair and everyone was cramped around this judge's office. But I turned up, I was asked to uh, testify, um, say, make sure I was telling the truth, and uh, I was asked the questions, and my job was to answer, it was to testify. You see, I'd already seen, I'd already heard, I'd already was there, but my job as a witness was to testify. That's what a witness does. They say what they saw, heard, and even if they touched. And that is the agenda Jesus gives his followers. They saw the miracles, didn't they? They heard the teaching. They'd had conversations with Jesus. They saw the horror of the cross. They saw him alive again. They heard his voice again. They touched him. They saw him touch and eat fish and other foods with them. Verse 3, it says, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive they were in no doubt of the truth of the gospel jesus had conquered death and sin and risen again they were witnesses so they need to testify to speak to tell to say this is what happened we were there now you and i aren't witnesses in quite the same way you and i were not there 2,000 years ago and 1,000 miles away to see what happened. But these people saw what happened and they wrote the Bible to testify it to us. Luke is one of them in connection with them. To testify it to us and also to testify it to the world. That is why the Bible and reading it is the most important thing you can do. Isn't that right? That is why people risk their lives to get a Bible that they can read and understand. Do you know there's one billion people in the world today who don't have anything of the Bible in their own language? That's why Helen and I give monthly to support a charity that tries to correct that. They get the Bible translated into those languages because they can't understand in the same way that you and I can. We're spoiled, aren't we? How many versions of the Bible are there? More and more and more. We're spoiled. We have the witness of the Bible, so of course... We read it. That's why people gave their lives. So that people can have it. But in a secondary sense, if we know Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us, we are also witnesses. Are we not? We can testify. We can't testify to the actual historical death, resurrection and teaching as if we were there because we weren't. But we can speak of the truth of Jesus in our lives, can't we? We can say we know the joy of forgiveness. We know the peace of having life beyond death. We know the freedom that comes with living under Jesus. And we can be convinced. And so we testify. You know the relay race, don't you? 
The idea of the relay race is not just to run your bit as fast as possible. You've got to pass that baton on. You, you can do the 100 meters as fast as you like or the 400 or whatever it is, as fast as you like, but it's no use if you don't get that baton passed on. That's why America does so badly. And Britain does a lot better because we're a very good cooperative country. We're united. Well, there we are. But you know what it is. You've got to get the baton wrapped. And it's no good until that baton crosses that finish line. Otherwise, all is lost. Well, take that image and apply it to passing on this message, to testifying. The apostles did the first leg. And they ran it well, didn't they? They testified. They told people about Jesus. And they passed on the baton to other people, like Philip and like Luke. And they testified. And they passed on the baton to others. Take John. Here's a bit of church history. John, the evangelist, who wrote John's gospel, who wrote those letters, who wrote Revelation. I'm planning to look at it, actually, uh, later this year, Revelation. And uh, John passed on the gospel message. He passed it on to, uh, to some fella who I've got, forgot the name of. It begins with a P. Dear me, that's bad. But then he passed it on to Irenaeus. And Irenaeus wrote it all down. And other people, you can read Irenaeus if you go on the internet. And you can read what Irenaeus has passed on. He's passed it on to others. He's passed it on to Augustine and so on. And Augustine has passed it on to other people. He passed it on to others who passed it on to others who passed it on to others who once passed it on to some guy called Cranmer who passed it on to others and others. And so we have it today. The gospel message. The baton has been passed on and on and on and on. And we have it today. So what do we do? We've got to pass it on. Isn't that right? We pass it on. We testify to Christ. That is why St. John's exists. To testify to Jesus. And we do it because we have the Holy Spirit. Not in our own strength, but in his power. Is that our agenda? What is your agenda? The apostles had to change their, their agenda to fit with Jesus. What is your agenda our agenda has got to be to be witnesses to where we are in the earth. We speak of him. And why do we do this? Well, we do it for all kinds of reasons. But the reason in Acts 1 is because Jesus is coming back soon. Let's look at verse 9. After he said this, verse 9, he was taken up before their eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two Men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So the apostles, they see Jesus leave the scene and they're staring up. You can imagine why, couldn't you? I mean, imagine saying goodbye to someone you love you might stand outside the house and wave them off if they're going on a long journey and you watch them go. Well, that's what they're doing with Jesus. You can imagine it, can't you? They're looking up, up in the sky and there's several of them. And one of them said, there he is. I can see him. Off he goes. There he is. The cloud's coming. So yeah, I can see him. It's getting smaller. It's getting smaller. Bye, Jesus. Can you see me? can't see him I can see him you've got good eyesight I can see him he's gone can you see him went that way and then two men angels appear next to them and say what are you doing why are you looking up at the sky 
You've been in those buildings, those church buildings where they have amazing ceilings. I used to live in Cambridge and I used to take people into the chapel at St. John's College. It's massive, high ceiling, amazing painting. And uh, we're all looking up at this ceiling. And sometimes I wish someone had put there that verse. Why are you looking up at the sky? Don't you know this Jesus is coming back? We can spend so much of our time looking around when we ought to be getting on with the job because Jesus is coming back. Things have changed. Jesus isn't with you anymore. You've got a job to do. You've got a job to do. It is really sad, isn't it, when someone leaves, when someone passes away and there's no longer with us. And that is true in church. I'm going to talk about two people who are particularly significant in my Christian life. Mark Ashen was one of them. He wrote a book, On My Way to Heaven. I think it's there at the bookstall, uh, the bookshelf at the back. He was the vicar who married myself and Helen. And he was a brilliant vicar not long after he was diagnosed with, uh, uh, he was diagnosed with cancer, not long after we were married. And two years later, he died. He died as the vicar in his early 60s. Then another fella, Mike Ovi, he was the principal in charge of the Bible college we were at. He had the brain the size of the planet. He could remember the church. It's Polycarp, by the way, I've remembered now. John passed it on to Polycarp and passed it on to Irenaeus. But anyway, they, he, he would have made no mistake. He'd be able to mention all the other people, all the blanks that, that I haven't got. He had the brain the size of the planet. And he also had love to match. His love was that big. He knew God so well. It was two years after we'd left college, we got a phone call to say he suddenly had a heart attack. He was 59 in the prime of his ministry, training up men and women to teach the Bible, to be, te- to be witnesses, to testify to Jesus. Now, that was Mark and that was Mike. And I've often wondered, why did God do that? Why did God let them pass away before their time, when they were in their prime, when they were such brilliant people, gifted Christian teachers who we need, don't we, in this day and age? And I might never know the answer to that. But I think wonder, I sometimes wonder if the answer is something like this. Ian and all the others, it is over to you. Over to you. You Bible-believing Christians in England, you don't need a Mark or a Mike. They've done their job. They've influenced hundreds in serving Jesus faithfully, so it's over to you. Many of us perhaps can identify with people like that. Do you remember, remember Linda Scott or Nancy Sutherland or Jean Brownlee? or Muriel Chapman, or however many you can remember who have faithfully gone before us. Over to you. They're no longer here. They've done their bit. Over to us. And with Jesus, he heads off stage, and it's over to you, the church. Over to you, St. John's in heaven. We've got a job to do, and it's not looking around. It's not spectating. It is testifying speaking, sharing Jesus, because one day he's going to come back. He will bring all those who have heard of him and trusted in him for forgiveness and eternal life, all those who see the cross as their only hope, all those who give, who've got uh, eternal joy, an unparalleled joy through Jesus, he will take us away safely to be with him. He has left, but he has not abandoned us. He is very much at work. He's given us the Holy Spirit to testify to you. Father God, we pray that you'd help us to do that in the power of the Spirit. It is over to us, and may we do that before he returns. Amen.